We're in the middle of a series, or getting towards the end of a series called Crazy. How many of you have had a good time during the Crazy series? Yeah. Uh, the Lord has spoken to you and moved in your life. And we're going to talk about peace this morning, having peace in the storm, how to deal with crazy. But I wanted to identify some of the crazy that we're all experiencing as a nation. And I don't care what side of the political uh, spectrum you're on, whether you're red, blue, purple, green, I, I, don't, I don't care. Uh, about that today, but what I want to do is pray for peace in our nation. Can we do that together? You know, it's, it's hitting us close to home. You, you look at what's happening in Portland, and, uh, and I'm not making a political statement either way. I'm staying apolitical. I'm just, I have no opinions of my own. I float in a, in a nether above all of that. No, I'm just kidding. But, but I just wanted to pray for peace. Will you join with me this morning? Let's pray for peace. Let's pray for our, our current president, our president-elect, and pray for the nation of the United States of America. Father, We lift up our nation to you. God, we echo your prayer that says, Lord, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We ask God for peace in our nation. We ask for peace in our state, in our our city, in our communities, God, that, Lord, your, your peace would reign, that, Lord, you would give grace and wisdom to our current government, to our government that's coming in. Lord, we want, uh, as a people, to be honoring to you. Lord, even though we might disagree about the, the answers to the problems, we know there are problems, and we ask, Lord, that you would, would, would guide our leaders with wisdom. That God, you would give us wisdom as a people to be uh, a peaceable and law-abiding uh, nation, a God-honoring nation, and to honor you in all that we do. But we ask for peace. Lord, even within marriages, even within disagreements that might happen in families about politics and all of these things, I pray, God, that in this season we put aside those differences and come together uh, and honor you in all that we do. Father, we give you glory and honor today. We pray for this nation, and Lord, we lift up our cares and concerns and ask for your peace that passes all understanding to come and abide in our hearts. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. You feel a little bit better then, right? (sighs) Take a deep breath, right? We still need to go back to the things that truly matter, like college football. All right. Have you ever said, my life is crazy? At any moment? At any moment. Like, this situation is outside of my ability to understand. It's outside of my ability to control. If you have small children, then you know this is every day, right? My life is crazy. I told Bethany, I was walking around, and I think I had that look in my eyes, you know, here at the theater, walking around like this, bug-eyed. And she said, are you okay? And I said, no. What's wrong? I'm just frazzled. You know, because the kids were just all week, right? Jack and Evie, she's five, he's three, and they're both like titans of their own opinion. And they just come together and they're fighting and arguing and yelling and screaming. And then, you know, we were in the car this morning and Evie's like, talking at 10 million miles an hour. And we're like, can you just be quiet? Okay, sure, I will. I promise I'll do it. I I will. I'll be quiet. I can be quiet. I can do it. Watch. Here, I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to start. One, two, three. Here I go. Almost ready. Now I'm going to be quiet. And then we're here. Can I get a little peace and quiet? I'll be peace. I'll be quiet. You know what I'm saying? So my week this week, uh, being honest with you, was not very peaceful. As I'm preparing this sermon and praying, saying, God, give me a message about peace. And, you know, my mental image of, of, of my life uh, as a pastor and being able to prepare messages that I'm going to, you know, stroll into the presence of God and sit in a, in a giant recliner with all of the beverages that I desire, coffee and all these things, and smoke a bubble pipe and, uh, uh, you know, receive revelation from on high. And that is not the reality. Usually it's like me with no shirt on, sitting in a chair that's broken with peanut butter on my face and a kid <laughs> screaming in my ear. And I'm like, peace, 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 God. <laughs> peace. God wants to give us peace. And we've been talking in this series about how life at times goes 
crazy, and we've kind of talked about it in the big ways. You know, maybe you, you lost your job, you got fired, and uh, maybe you, you, you're sick. Maybe somebody that you love is, is very ill, and, and you just don't know how to handle it. It's a crazy situation. And uh, we've been looking at stories out of the Bible, and I want to share a really poignant one today about how to have peace even right in the middle of the storms of life, peace right in the midst of the crazy. Jesus spoke into this. Our theme verses for this series are Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. 2,000 years ago, he called the shot. He Babe Ruthed it and said, this is what's going to happen. He said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Jesus said, when the rains come, when the wind blows, not if. Crazy's coming. Maybe you're not looking for crazy, but crazy's looking for you. And, and life has this funny way of, of bringing us into situations that we couldn't prepare for, didn't anticipate, or maybe even our own actions caused, but we didn't think the result was going to turn out the way that it did. And all of a sudden, we're living in the midst of a storm. And Jesus says, listen, here's what you must do. You must build your life on the rock of, of, of Christ. You must build your life on me, on my teachings. If you do that, you're wise. Because when those storms come, when the political storm comes, when your kids won't shut up, when, right, just being real, when your marriage begins to crumble and you can't communicate and, and you're speaking blue and she's speaking pink and you can't understand what's going on and why there's conflict, when there's sickness, when crazy comes, when the storm comes, when the wind blows, when the rain falls, where's your life built on? Is it built on sand? Is it built on clever sayings? Is it built on the teachings of Oprah and Dr. Phil? Is it built on pithy, cliche, religious platitudes? Spit. I'm glad nobody's sitting in the front row. It's a very uh, punctuated word. Is it built on sand or is it built on the rock of Christ? Because if we build our lives on the rock of Christ, then when the storm comes, not if, but when, we can be uh, sustained through the storm and have peace. What are some responses? We've looked at this the last couple of weeks, but what are some responses that people uh, give to, to cope with crazy? One category of person, when it gets crazy, you join in, right? Somebody wants to fight, you throw the, you're doing the hockey thing, you're trying to pull their jersey over their head, and you're just going to go crazy. You're going crazy? I'm going crazy, right? How many of you are like this? You just join in. Thank you, Matt, for being transparent. This brother right here, yeah. It goes crazy, I'm going to get crazier. You get loud, I'm going to go louder. You get negative, I could be more negative than you, right? You, it goes crazy and you get crazy. That's not a good response, all right? Joining in. How about this one? How about those that just give in? So things go crazy, the storm comes in, and you don't, you don't get crazy back. You don't fight it, but you just give in. Oh, it's too bad that happened. I'm going to go crawl into a hole and read Reader's Digest and watch Lifetime. Right? I'm going to give in. I'm going to wear a bathrobe until 2 in the afternoon. And then I'll put my pajamas on. You, know, you just give in. You get cynical or you get, you get sarcastic. You get depressed, but you do nothing. That's how you deal with crazy. These are very natural human responses, right? Very natural. How about number three, run away. So when things get difficult, you get going. You run away. You, 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 if in that fight or flight response that human beings have, you're flight. So all of a sudden the marriage gets tough. And you realize that you're married to an actual human being who's not perfect. 
and, and you're not perfect, and all of a sudden there's some conflict, and it's starting to get a little crazy, a little tense, and it's easier for you to just run away. Well, I haven't found the right man, or I haven't found the right woman. Newsflash, you never will, right? Because everybody that you marry isn't Jesus, right? You know who Bethany married? Not Jesus. We want to put out a personality test, totally free, online. You take it, it tells you your personality. I'm not Jesus, therefore you're flawed, right? Uh, if you married a, a real human being, uh, they're fallen and they're flawed, and, and it, there's going to be a process. Come on. But some people, when, they, when things get hard, when they get crazy, when a storm comes, it's easier to run away. It's easier to just take out, and leave the marriage, leave the kids, and just run. But how do we respond correctly when we can't change the circumstances? We talked a couple weeks ago about David when he was uh, at Ziklag and, and things went crazy and he dug in. It says he strengthened himself in the Lord. When, when you've built your life on Jesus or you're choosing to build your life on Jesus, maybe your life isn't built on Jesus today and you're checking out this whole Christianity thing and kicking the tires. That's awesome. We're glad you're here. But, but you can make a decision today to trust in Jesus and build your life on Him. And so when things get crazy, instead of joining in or giving in or running away, you can dig in to your relationship with God and find peace, even right in the midst of the circumstances and the crazy of life. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 is an incredible passage of Scripture. Paul is talking about the fruits of the Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love. Everybody go, ah, love. Joy. Yay. And then peace. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. The fruit of the Spirit are not just passive things that sort of fall upon you. They are active, participatory things. When you look at the fruit of the Spirit and it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, you can't experience and and walk in the fruit of love all by yourself. Well, I could feel God's love, sure, but, but the question needs to be asked here. Love with who? Joy towards whom? Peace with who? It implies an active participation. The Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, when it talks about peace, is not just this passive thing that means there's no conflict or no crazy, no storm around you. It actually implies that you are, you are going to go through some storms, but you can have peace as an active thing that you're participating in, even in the midst of that. And if we're living in the Spirit, we need to follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives so we pursue love, right? We pursue joy. We pursue peace. We engage in peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, right? As, as followers of Christ, you know, it's not... It's not does not behoove you as an ambassador of Christ's kingdom to incite riots, to incite disappointment, to incite people to, have not, to not have peace. doesn't mean you don't speak truth. It doesn't mean you don't, uh, you don't engage in politics. But, but it's our job to be peacemakers, meaning this. Do we bring people together under the banner of Christ? Are we looking actively to build the rule and reign of Christ in whatever sphere we find ourselves in? Are you a peacemaker? Right? Not just waiting for peace to happen to you, but we're following the Spirit in every part of our lives. Paul writes to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience 
God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. This word, peace, when it says it exceeds, I I did some study here, and this word means that it surpasses. It is far better than. So Paul's saying, when you experience God's peace, which exceeds, he's saying it's better than, it surpasses anything we can understand, which is the observable reality. What Paul is saying is when you encounter the peace of God, even in the storm, you wouldn't actually even trade the storm you're going through. The peace that you feel in Christ, the peace that you have in Him, is actually better than the circumstance changing. Isn't that interesting? The peace that you can encounter in Christ, even in the midst of a crazy political season, even in the midst of craziness happening in your life, is better. It far surpasses, it far exceeds even the circumstance being changed. So often we want, uh, we want the storm to go away, right? But oftentimes that's not even the best thing for us in that moment. The best thing for us is to encounter and know and hold on to the peace of God. It says His peace will guard your hearts, which is the the locus of your emotions. It's the, the center of your being, your core reality, your heart. God's peace will guard that area of you, your identity. So many people are confused uh, and broken in the, in the very core of who they are, in their heart, in their identity. They don't know who they are. They don't know what they were made for. Uh, even the secular culture causes people to question if their life even has purpose or if all they are is time plus slime plus chance. If all they are is just DNA, uh, just, uh, just, just dancing to the code of their DNA and their and existence is absurd. And I'm getting kind of philosophical, but I just want to make a point here that God's peace will come in and give you purpose even in the heart of who you are. That you will come to know your identity in Christ as a son or a daughter of God. You will find purpose, you will find meaning, and you will find peace in the midst of your identity. And he says that God's peace will guard your mind. Your mind is the place of reason and rationale, where you make decisions, how you view the world, the lens by which you observe all things around you. And God will, will, his peace will guard you in that area. How many think that our heart and mind needs more peace that passes all understanding that comes from God in this time and season? And that's what God wants to give us. And we often take this word peace to mean the absence of conflict or stress. You know, I think a lot of times when my kids are going, oh, going crazy, and I feel like I'm going crazy, that if they would just shut up, right? Just being real. And sometimes I even yell, shut up, you know. Oh my, he's a man of God. (laughs) Not on Wednesday when they won't shut up. I'm like, okay, I got to get ready for Sunday. Okay, but when there's not peace, oftentimes I think if I could just get them to stop, if I could just get this sickness to go away, if I could just have a job and have this relationship working the way that I want, then I would have peace. It's, but biblical peace is a much broader concept than just the absence of conflict or stress. It's an active state of holistic wellness. It's the condition of a right relationship with God and with others. Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology defines, it says this, in English, the word peace conjures up a passive picture, one showing an absence of civil disturbance or hostilities or a Personality, free from internal and external strife. The biblical concept of peace... I don't know what was funny, but I mean, that's cool. I, that's cool. Sometimes when you're, you're, try, you're not trying to be funny and people laugh, you just roll with it. Like, I meant to do that. Okay. The biblical concept of peace is larger than that and rests heavily on the Hebrew, word, Hebrew root salom, which means to be complete or to be sound. And this verb conveys both a dynamic and a static meaning to be complete or whole or to live 
well. And this noun, and I know this is kind of boring, but we'll just read through it. The noun had many nuances, but can be grouped into four categories. Number one, shalom, biblical peace, as uh, a wholeness of life or body, or health. Or it could be, number two, shalom as right relationship or harmony between two parties or people. Number three, shalom as prosperity, success, or fulfillment. And lastly, number four, shalom as victory over one's enemies or an absence of war. Uh, in the Bible, shalom, this word peace in Hebrew, was used in both greetings and farewells. It was meant to act as a blessing on the one to whom it was spoken. May your life be filled with health, prosperity, and victory. May you have shalom. May you have peace. As an adjective, it expressed completeness and safety. It's not just the absence of something, it's the presence of something. Okay. In the New Testament, the Greek word irene... Uh, this is my wife, Irene. No, I'm just kidding. That was, that was lame. Okay, that's the actual Greek word. The Greek word Irene is the word most often translated by the word peace. Although there is some overlap in their meanings, the Hebrew word shalom is broader in its usage and in fact has greatly influenced the New Testament use of this word Irene. So when we read in the New Testament the word peace, it's this Greek word, but it's connected back to the Hebrew understanding of shalom, which was not the absence of conflict, but the presence of wholeness and wellness and blessing and success, okay? So when we talk about biblical peace, we don't just mean my problems stop. We mean that even when my problem doesn't stop, I'm okay, right? We don't just mean when the person who I wanted to win wins the election, then I have peace. Well, unfortunately for a lot of people, they didn't get what they wanted, right? And then in four years, other people won't get what they wanted. And then and so it's, there's never going to be a time when everybody's happy about what happens. How about in sports, right? The Stanford Cardinal fans, we have peace because we stomped the Ducks and all the Duck fans are, oh, we need Uncle Phil to come save us, you know? And, and we're, but peace is not just the absence of problem. It's the presence of something more powerful. God's peace, his shalom. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35, we're going to key in for a few minutes on this passage just to give you a little bit of context in, in Mark chapter 4, Mark is an eyewitness account of the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. Most people believe that it's actually Peter, Jesus' disciple. It's his eyewitness accounts that he transmitted to this guy named Mark. And uh, Peter verbally communicated these stories about Jesus and the realities of what was happening or what had happened in his time with Christ. And so this is Peter's eyewitness viewpoint. And in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is teaching parables as he often did. And so many people have gathered around, a great multitude, that he, he has to actually get in a boat, and he go, gets put out from the shore. And so he's teaching these parables, and he teaches all day. You think church is long, you know, here at Joy, where it's like an hour and 15 minutes? Well, Jesus' church was like all day, you know what I mean? I don't even want to go to his church, but just kidding, Jesus, I do, I do, sorry. That was bad. Thank you, Todd, that was. I told you I had a crazy week. Can I get a little mercy? All right. It says in verse 35 of Mark chapter 4, As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to listen to every phrase here because there's a lot of meaning in here. Let's cross to the other side of the lake. All right? He said, let's cross to the side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out. It's an interesting little factoid here. We do this at our small group. We do factoids, right, Johnny? Factoids, yeah. And uh, uh, a little factoid here about, about this is that it's interesting that Peter actually is... He's, he's witnessing what's happened here, and Jesus is already in a boat, but apparently he remembers that they brought their boat up alongside, and like Jesus came into their boat. 
So this is actually a little bit of evidence of how accurate this account is, that even this minor detail is recorded for us, passed down 2,000 years later. It doesn't have a mythological element to it. Okay? So Peter remembers this. They got Jesus in their boat. He says, let's cross the other side of the lake. They took him in their boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although it says other boats followed. I want you to note that, that other boats are out on the lake. They followed them. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. It's awesome. He's, he's taking a nap on the back of the boat. They, they found boats near the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, uh, recently, in recent times, they've uncovered a couple of boats that were pressed down into the mud, and so they were preserved. And they found that these uh, Galilean fishing boats would be about 25, 26 feet long, and oftentimes would have a deck on the front of the, of the boat and a deck on the back. And so Jesus is most likely sleeping either under this covered deck, a short deck, or on top, most likely on top, and he has his head on a cushion, it says, and he's sleeping. And the disciples woke him up shouting, this is my week right here, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? You know, just getting woken up by someone shouting in your ear. Parents, you with me? Happens a lot. They wake him up. Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence! Be still. Suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? It's an interesting question that he asked. We'll come back around to this. Why are you afraid? And do you still have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely terrified. So Peter remembers. He asked us, we were afraid. Yeah, we were afraid. We were absolutely freaked out. Uh, When they said, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to drown? That word in in Greek is the word perish, and it means basically cease to exist. Don't you care that we're going to be annihilated? This storm is going to just absolutely wipe the earth clean of our presence. Don't you care? He says, why are you afraid? Don't, do you still have no faith? And it says they were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. Even the wind and waves obey him. I want to give you a couple of thoughts on this passage as we talk about peace and having peace in the storm. The first thing I want to point out about Mark chapter 4, verse 35, is that Jesus said, let's cross to the other side. Not, he didn't say, Let's go sink in a storm and drown. Think about that for a second. Hey, I got a fishing boat. We're going to head out on the ocean and we're all going to die. You in? Sure. No, right? He didn't say, let's go die in a storm. He said, let's cross to the other side. I want to tell you right now that there was purpose even through this storm. That Jesus had a destination in mind. We can look in Mark chapter 5 and see what the destination he had in mind was. But they were crossing across, they were going across the lake. Jesus wasn't saying, I want you to come uh, experience a storm. There was purpose in what he was calling them to do. Let me just tell you this right now. Oftentimes, as you're following the leading of God, you're going to go into storms. That even as you follow Jesus, well, Jesus told me to to get this job, and Jesus told me to move to this city, or Jesus led me to to marry this woman, or Jesus led me to befriend this person, and now there's a storm. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean that you missed God. Actually, you might be completely in the will of God. But we have to hold on to what He has called us to do. Storms don't mean you're off course. Think about that for a second. 
Jesus said, let's cross to the other side. And the disciples were responding to that. Now I want you to hold that in your heart. Hold it in your mind for a few moments. Let's cross to the other side. Number two, it says here, and I've never seen this in reading this passage hundreds of times, probably never noticed this, that other boats followed. So Jesus is teaching these multitudes. They decide to go to the other side of the lake. And anybody that had a boat, they jump in and they're pursuing Jesus. They're chasing after Jesus. They're actually following to continue to hear from him or whatever they wanted to get from him, healing or whatever. But there were other boats full of people on the lake during the storm. Think about that for a second. That there was a, wasn't just one boat with Jesus' disciples. There was a bunch of other people out on the lake during the storm. Think about what we're all going through right now in the United States. Going through a contentious election season. Having a lot of crazy go around. And this person's the devil. And no, that person's the devil. And if you voted for them, you're not a Christian. Well, if you don't vote for them, you're not. And well, you know, we all, nobody's a Christian anymore, right? Um, it's unfortunate that one political election defeated 2,000 years of church history. It's terrible. But... You know, it's so contentious. Other people are on the lake. Think about that for a second. When you go through storms, it's not just you. Well, my husband is sick, or I'm having marital trouble, so we're in a storm. A lot of people are in a storm. A lot of people are in the storm. I want to ask you this question. How will your response of faith to Jesus in the midst of the storm affect the other people in the storm? His disciples called on him. And in this situation, he does stop the storm. But think about that affected not just that one boat, but all the other boats that were on the lake. Number three, the central question out of this narrative, out of this account here in Scripture, was don't you care? Jesus, don't you care? And this word care, I I studied this out. It means anxiety. It means worry. It doesn't mean like a care, like affection. It means, Jesus, aren't you really freaked out by this giant storm that we're all going to die in? Jesus, aren't you anxious? Aren't you worried? And the implication in what happens is that, no, Jesus isn't worried at all. He's dead asleep. How many times do we look at God and expect him to be as put out by the storm that we're going through and we feel like he's asleep? And the reality is, he probably is. He's very at peace and very relaxed, even when you're going through the storm, which is a good thing, right? That God is not intimidated by what you or I are going through at any moment in our life. And Jesus is completely asleep. And they come and they wake him up. And, and, and aren't you worried? Aren't you, don't you have anxiety? Don't you care about us? Don't you care about what we're going through? Don't you think that we're going to die? Don't you see what's happening? But he's not worried about the storm. And let me just tell you right now that oftentimes we take this question, don't you care about my storm? Aren't you anxious about what's happening? And we actually turn that into, don't you care about me? Don't we? We, we often say, well, if I'm going through a storm, that means God must not like me, or he must not love me, or I must have done something wrong. No, remember the disciples were in the will of God. Jesus said, let's cross to the other side. They were following him. The storm they encountered was actually within the will of God as they were going about the business that Jesus was on and on his mission. But oftentimes we can take this question, don't you care about my storm? And we can turn it into, don't you care about me? And I want to tell you right now that Jesus cared very, very much about these men in the boat with him. And by extension, Jesus cares very, very much about you and I. 
And he cares about our response to the storm. And he cares about our feelings about the storm. And he cares about what we're going through. The Bible tells us to cast our cares upon him. Jesus wants to bear the burden of your worry. He wants to bear the burden of your anxiety. But the question they ask, aren't you anxious? He's not anxious at all. Jesus is not anxious about the storm. The word fierce that it uses here when it says a fierce storm, in Greek it's a word megas. And in verse 37, the word, uh, or in verse 39, the word great calm. So I'll read it real quick. In verse 37, it says a fierce storm came up. And in verse 39, when Jesus said, silence, be still, it says suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. In Greek, these words fierce and great are the same word. It's the word megas. And we get our word uh, mega, right? Is, is the, the root of it is this Greek word megas. So what was happening here? is there was a mega-sized storm. The, the size of the storm, in Greek, it says that it was often, the, it was the way the Greeks would describe a hurricane. So, you know, basically this kind of storm, we don't know exactly what type of a level of storm it was, but you can study the, the, uh, the weather patterns there on the Sea of Galilee, and they do based on, there's a mountain that's about 9,000 feet tall on one side of the lake, and the weather pattern creates these incredibly fast-rising these storms that come up, and they're like hurricane-forced winds, and they can come really quickly and go away really quickly. So this, this actually still happens on the Sea of Galilee. And it was a mega-sized storm. But listen, when Jesus tells the wind and tells the waves to be silent and to be still, the peace that comes is also a mega-peace. It's the same word. A mega storm came up and we were all freaked out and we were going to die and everything was horrible. Yeah, it was a mega storm. But when Jesus says, be still, be silent, the calm, it says a great calm. It said a mega calm. The level of the storm that you face can be matched by the level of the peace that God gives you even in the midst of the storm and what he does with the storms of life. Sometimes we think that, you know, well, the storm just goes away, then everything will be good. No, I want to tell you, God has more for you than just the absence of a storm. God has a mega calm. God has a great calm. God has a peace that perseveres, a peace that pervades, a peace that carries you through, that even if the storm didn't stop, that that peace was still there. And we're going to look at that. Jesus asked him two questions. He said, why are you afraid? And I always read this and go, like, Jesus, you always ask obvious questions. We are afraid because we are in a hurricane. You know that, right? You know that. We're in a hurricane. That's why we're afraid. He says, why are you afraid? And then he says, do you still have no faith? And he asked them these questions after he calmed the storm and after he, he stopped it. And Jesus knew the obvious answer to the first question. You know, whenever I feel like Jesus is asking an obvious question, I realize this is a Jesus slash mom moment. How many of you, uh, like many people, I have a mom, right? Most people are born of, of moms. But um, that's a funnier joke than you gave me credit for, I'm just going to say. <laughs> but moms can do this with questions where it's not a question, it's a statement, right? Are you going to eat another cookie? <laughs> yes. Are you sure you want to? I don't know, right? Moms can teach us through questions. This is what Jesus is doing. He says, why are you afraid? He knows the obvious answer. There's a hurricane. There's a mega storm. But he's pointing something out. Why have fear? I told you to get in the boat. I told you we were going to cross. I didn't say we're going to die in a storm. I said we're going to cross to the other side. Why are you afraid? 
You see, storms are scary, but if you're in the will of God, you don't have to have fear. Come on, you hear what I'm saying? There's a transcendent reality here that when Jesus says, cross to the other side, you might go through a big hurricane. You might go through a big storm. We've all experienced this, even following Jesus at times, where we go through these things. But he says, why are you afraid? I'm the one that told you to get in the boat. I'm the one that told you to cross. You don't need to have fear. I love this story in the Old Testament about Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were probably the coolest named people in the whole Bible. Just sound like a cool boy band or something. You know, who are you guys? We're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What? You know, but... Uh, one Direction, watch out, you know. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were thrown in a fiery furnace by King Nebuchadnezzar, also an awesome name. Anybody want a name? Uh, if anybody's pregnant and you need a name for a boy, Nebuchadnezzar, don't recommend it, but, you know, you can have it. Um, Nebuchadnezzar throws them in the fiery furnace, and, they, and he says, you know, basically, what now, guys? And they say, well, it may be that we'll perish in these flames, but we trust in the Lord either way paraphrasing here, but we trust in God either way. Maybe your storm is not going to be stilled at the immediate miraculous command of Christ. Maybe you're going to go through the storm, but the point is this. Either way, you don't have to be afraid because there's victory on the other side of every storm, whether the storm takes you to the bottom or not. Because in Christ, our hope is in resurrection life. You know, it's interesting, people, we, we talk about healing, and I believe that God heals in our day and age. I believe that, right down to the tips of my toes. I believe that God heals, but He doesn't heal everybody, and I don't know why. And the reality is that even if God heals you, you're still dying of death. Think about that for a second. You're still dying of death. Maybe you have cancer, uh, then you get, you know, I don't know, something else, or whatever you get, you, the flu, really bad because you, you got a flu vaccine and, you know, it, it made you sick. I don't know. But you get sick, and then all of a sudden God miraculously heals you, and we go, yay, it's a miracle. But then, you know, 75, 80, 100 years later, you're still going to die. Yeah. And so the reality is our hope is much deeper than just temporary storms being calmed. Why are you afraid? This is a question that goes right down to the root of who we are as people. Do we trust in the maker of heaven and earth, do we trust when he says cross the lake that even if a storm comes, either the storm will be stilled at his hand or I will go to the bottom, but it may be, but I have feet, I have faith in God and therefore I don't have a place for fear. I am no longer a slave to fear. We sang that today because I am a child of God. Jesus says, why have fear? I told you to get in the boat. And the second question is leading them along the same line to get them to see this truth. Think about who's in your boat. Why are you afraid? He asks them. Do you still have no faith? In other words, you should have had faith that when Jesus said, get in the boat, we're crossing over, that should have been enough. But now that you've seen, do you still have no faith? And it says they were absolutely terrified. And I don't think they were scared about the storm anymore. Because think about the order here. There is no more storm. Now the waves are not crashing over and filling the boat. And now the wind is not blowing. Now what they are absolutely terrified of is the revelation of Jesus Christ, who has with a word just said, Wind, be quiet, and waves, be still. They were absolutely terrified. And they said, Who is this man? Who the heck has the ability to tell the nature to stop? And be still. They're terrified of Jesus. 
But they weren't terrified in a way, thinking that he was going to like incinerate them or something, or throw them into the ocean. No, they were terrified because of the revelation of whose presence they were in. We need to fear God more than the storm. You know, I'm, I'm trying to learn this in my life that I need to be more afraid of God. And I'm going to explain this. I don't mean afraid like cowering in, in fear, hiding from the boogeyman. No, I mean a deep reverential awe that supersedes everything. That I'm more afraid of Him whose presence that I come into on a daily basis and engage in prayer and conversation. You see, these men... They had been raised their entire life to know that God, the maker of heavens and earth, at a word, created sea and sky and stars and universe. And they're, all of the sudden, they realize, whose presence are we standing in? The same one that at a word created is the same one that at a word can stop and still and bring peace. It's a clue to who Jesus is. It was at his word that everything was made and It is at his word that they are stilled. And there was a deep reverential awe, a terror even, an an absolute... When when people encounter God in the Bible, there's often this reaction like, I'm undone, I I can't even exist anymore. I'm so overwhelmed by what's what's happening here. And I want to live my life in that manner. That I am deeply in reverential awe and fear of God in every decision that I make and the way that I speak to my wife and my kids and whether there's a storm or not, I want, to be in, I want to live in the fear of the Lord. God's word says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When you recognize who God is and who, who you are in relationship and in light of, of what he made you to be, when you recognize that reality, you start seeing things clearly. You start seeing things rightly. It's what Jesus says, why are you afraid? Don't you know who I am? And they realized in that moment who he was. In Mark chapter 5, as the narrative goes on, they go through the, they row their boat to shore. They, get, they go on and they're in this region and there's a man that's filled with demons. And he's running naked and he's, he lives in the tombs and he's just an insane guy. He's the kind of person that you're walking you know, downtown and you, you take your kids to the other side of the street and you look behind you because he's crazy. And Jesus and his disciples go and Jesus prays for this man and he, he casts the demons out and he delivers this man who is absolutely tormented and he gives him peace. Jesus was on a mission. There was a reason they were crossing the lake. It was to bring peace to somebody who was completely bound. And I want to I say, when you are told, cross the lake, and even if you anticipate there could be a storm, remember the destination. Because when you find peace in Christ, you get to be a bringer of peace. Do you want me to tell you what we need in America? It's not Hillary Clinton. It's not Donald Trump. It's not Barack Obama. It's not any political leader. It's not a better director of education or we don't need a better space program. We need more people to encounter Christ and know his peace. And let me just tell you that, you know, yeah. People need Jesus in our city. You know, sometimes we're so focused on the storm that we don't think about where did Jesus tell me to go? What lake am I crossing when I'm going through the storm? 
we get so focused and Jesus asks you today, why are you afraid and do you still have no faith? Because when you see him, when you encounter Jesus, the one who created everything, has the power to stop the storms, do you still have no faith? He's leading you somewhere. I want to ask you three questions. Three questions to just ask ourselves and we're going to finish up and pray today. Kind of a checklist to find peace in the storm. Number one, am I in the will of the Lord? I want you to ask yourself that question this week. Am I in the will of the Lord? Now, there's different thought processes about God's will and I'm not going to go into it. I know we don't have a ton of time because we have to beat all the other churches to the good restaurants before they get there. Uh, which is why we try to get out early. That's why, you know, we want to get there first. Get in line. Am I in the will of the Lord? What lake has Jesus told you to cross? You are going to have storms either way, but this is going to set you up for the next question. Am I in the will of the Lord? I want you to ask that. God, am I following you? Am I honoring you in what I do? Am I, am I putting you first? Am I pursuing you? Am I in the will of of the Lord. Jesus said, let's cross the lake. His disciples obeyed. And therefore, because of that reality that they were in his will, they didn't need to be afraid of the wind and the waves. They could have peace because they were in the plan. You see, if you want peace, but you're outside of the plan, you're probably not going to find it. A lot of people think, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to take Christian principles. I'm going to take Christian principles. I'll follow God's word. I'll go to church. I'll even, I'll even try to have a Christian marriage and a Christian family. and a Christ, I'll watch Christian TV and I'll listen to Christian music. And, I'll, and, and it's all Christian, 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 Christian externally, but in the inside I'm not in the will of the Lord. I'm not a follower of Jesus. I want to tell you right now, there's no peace outside of Christ. We are at enmity with God apart from Christ. And today, for you, If you're here and you don't know Jesus, number one is to give your life to him 100%. Lay it down on the line and say, I give you my life, Jesus. Be in the will of the Lord. Number two, who's in my boat? When you're going through a storm, don't look at the wind and the waves. Don't look at everything around you. Stop. Put your hands out. Close your eyes. Begin to pray. And I want you to think about whose presence you are in. Who's in your boat? And now tell me where the fear goes. Because sometimes we forget that Jesus is in the boat. Maybe he's sleeping in the back, but he's in the boat. That boat's getting to the other side of the lake. Come on, that boat is getting to the other side of the lake. And I don't know what that means in your life or in your context, but that boat is getting to the other side of the lake. Who is in your boat? Am I in the will of the Lord and who's in my boat? And number three, what do I fear more, God or the storm? Oftentimes we put our faith more in the circumstances surrounding us than the God who created us and the God who dwells within us. But the same life-giving power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells inside of you. You are a child of God. You are a son or a daughter. You have a prophetic destiny. There is purpose inside of you. Who do you fear more, God or the storm? Come on, Christians. It's time for us to elevate our game here to stop getting in the mud with everybody else and stop fighting and acting like we don't know the answer. The answer lives on the inside of you. Who do you fear more, God or the storm? Are you focused on what's happening around or who's happening on the inside? Who dwells on the inside? This morning I want to give an opportunity for us to respond at a couple different levels. If we could just bow our heads and close our eyes. Every single week people come to church who don't know the living God And I tell you right now that it's not an accident that you're here. 
I believe that something whispered inside of you that it was time to cross a lake and you came to this place. You came to church at a movie theater. And I want to tell you right now that it is not an accident. And you think, well, I know why I'm here because I decided to. No. There's a God who loves you. He pursues you. He sees you at all moments of your life in the good, the bad, and the ugly. And He loves you desperately. And He has pursued you. And He has led you to this place. And right now, you have an opportunity to trust in Him with your life. Right now, you have an opportunity to to let Him wash away your sins and give you a brand new heart. And if that's you today, we're not going to call you out or embarrass you. Here's what's going to happen. I just want you to raise your hand. Thank you, I see that. Anybody else? Just raise your hand, and I, I want to pray with you today. And we just want to, we want to connect with you. But you, you're here today. I want to trust in Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm, I'm lost without Him. And if you're kicking the tires on this thing, and you need more time, and you're not ready, that's cool. Please don't feel pressure. But listen, if God is speaking to you today, just raise your hand. Pastor Jake, I want to, I want to find Christ today. Amen. Will you pray with me really quickly? Just repeat after me. Let's all pray this. I get saved every Sunday. Let's pray. Dear Father, I give you my life, all that I am, and I trust in you. Jesus, I accept your sacrifice on my behalf. I confess my sins to you, and I ask for your forgiveness. Come and be my Lord and Savior and give me the grace to follow you every day of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, let's, let's, let's celebrate that. If you prayed that prayer today for the first time and you want to make a commitment to Christ, Keith and Tina are right over here up on the emergency exit, which is probably a good fitting imagery there yeah and uh and they want to talk to you and pray with you and just share kind of what decision that you've made and help you resource you to make take the next steps and we want you to get connected in community get to a joy group keep coming meet some people find somebody grab them be like you're you're you know maybe you don't even know them but you're going to help me be a disciple of jesus and then if that's you christian then that's you do it right show them how to live for christ but uh, the rest of us, let's just, let's just uh, close our eyes, lift up our hands, and let's receive God's peace today. Father, thank you that your spirit dwells within us, that God, you lead us and guide us. And even sometimes when we're in your will and following you, we encounter storms and it happens. And, but Jesus, we ask today, who's in my boat? And we cast our cares upon you. We embrace actively the shalom, that peace that you provide to us that passes all understanding and actually far surpasses even the circumstances being changed. We, we anchor ourselves to you, Jesus. We build our life on who you are and what you said. And we follow your teachings. We build our life on the rock. And we ask that even when the storms come, that we would, we would be standing strong with you. Lord, we love you. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. I love you. God bless you.